yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man, I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, man. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah, I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, she tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Dr. Caville, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Yeah. Talkin they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot This is Dr. Caville with Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Um, Mike Washington is out on assignment, so it'll be none other than Charles and I bringing you the news. Welcome to episode 375 inside the HBC Sports Lab radio show and podcast. The show that's covering the sporting HBC dash for all things HBC sports. We're institutions large and small from the NEIA to the NCAA. We share insights and information on the HBC sports culture, HBC athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of HBC athletic programs in the business of HBC sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kenyatta Cabill, along with my co-host, Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. We're filming from our home studios and sending a signal live to KCH 1230 AM studios with the Texas Radio Hall of Famer, multi-Hall of Famer Ralph Cooper, in the beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. Today's episode of Inside the HBC Sports Lab is sponsored by THD Agency. THD Agency is a company that provides sporting and educational consulting and data analytics. Unfortunately, you all, I'm sure, have heard the news. Um, we've actually, at this time, have lost another icon of HBCUs, but first, first I would be remiss. Um, we had, you know, as this life thing circles around, you know, I had a chance Thursday evening with Charles and Mike, you know, we hadn't got outside to kind of celebrate each other and the work we've done. We got a chance to watch Texas Southern University basketball and more importantly, just enjoy each other's brotherhood and camaraderie and just um, just check on each other as you would. Um, and then it wasn't much later uh, when we find out a day later, if you would, that uh, we lost a colleague of ours from Black College Sports Network. Obviously, FAMU alumni have uh, lost a great ambassador. Those that have HBC sports and shows of the nature have lost Kofi Hemingway. I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge him, his family, and what he brought to the table. Avon Wilson, you know, another colleague of ours, obviously directly associated with FAMU and a friend of Kofi's, did a wonderful tribute article on HBCUGameDay.com in terms of Kofi Hemingway. Also, you had um, the fact that Brian and AD from Sports Rap acknowledge him. Others along the way have did great shows and acknowledge him, but we'd be remiss if we didn't take this time to acknowledge Kofi Hemingway. You see, for those that have the means to do it, uh, to provide some type of uh, offering, uh, su support, prayers, financially you can contribute. Um, this is for the family of our late brother Kofi Hemingway. Please contribute to his wife and you see the cash app. 
aka Hemingway, that's H-E-M-M-I-N-G, Way W-A-Y, for those that are listening um, but uh, cannot see the video, but others can go there and do that. So I, I wanted to pause and give that moment. Before I do that, Charles, did you want to add anything in regards to uh, honoring the late Kofi Hemingway, a partner of ours on Black College Sports Network? No, I, I think you summed it up well, Dr. Bill. Uh, tremendous, tremendous ambassador for Florida A&M, Florida A&M Athletics. Uh, one thing you knew about Kofi is uh, he was the one of the biggest advocates for Florida A&M. So uh, to lose uh, a voice like that, uh, it will definitely be felt undoubtedly uh, within this uh, HBCU stratosphere or the HBCU diaspora, as you put it. Uh, but uh, uh, just a, a, a tremendous voice for uh, Black college athletics that uh, will be truly best. And I thought, like you mentioned, Von Wilson did a tremendous job of uh, the piece that he did uh, in regards to Kofi. And, uh, you know, it, it is uh, – real tragedy in terms of uh, losing someone who's part of this brotherhood that is part of Black College Sports Network. So uh, definitely condolences to his family. Right. We have this uh, little page uh, that we do where we uh, messenger and type in there. And Kofi was always the one when we got into the weeds or whatever, he find a way to lighten up the moment. Obviously, it was part <laughs> of what he saw when so many others were getting into things, whatever, he found a way to the light the moment. Obviously, a very prayerful brother. Um, and I remember some of the great calls that I would get for him, and he would be talking, and obviously a big supporter of the band Rellers. And we had a project that we were working on, and somehow I have to find a way to honor him and see about moving that project forward in his name in some kind of manner. Brilliant man in a lot of ways in terms of how we thought about it, and certainly put his passion on his sleeve. Before we do the moment, um, to honor Kofi. Also, you've heard by now, uh, SWAC mourns the passing of Grambling State University legend Willis Reed. Uh, you go to SWAC.org um, in terms of the memoriam. SWAC mourns the passing of Willis Reed, former Grambling State basketball star, Nation's Memorial Hall of Fame, College Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, led his team to a NIA national championship. Uh, when we talk about the championship, let you know about the time in the 1960s as he got that done. Member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Um, um, and so obviously some of people remember the most about him in a lot of ways being out of that major market, New York Knicks, in terms of how he was able to help them and push them to a championship, even being injured. Um, so with that being said, uh, let's Take a moment of silence for all those in honor, um, if you would, those that went on to glory. With that being said, uh, any memories that you want to share in regards to Willis Reed? Um, I know you are old man, young man, whatever. So I don't know, I know. how you want to share. It's really funny. Uh, my dad was a huge uh, Willis Reed fan, uh, and I, it just sticks out to me. I think you had a, a lot of black men, uh, especially around that time period uh, within the '60s and uh, early '70s, who were Knicks fans because of Willis Reed and Earl Pearl Monroe. 
uh, and these, the, you know, this this team uh, was full of swagger uh, even back then. But I, I just remember my dad, <laughs> you know, saying, you know, uh, <laughs> we were talking about baseball, uh, talking about Derek Jeter being the captain. And he said, there's only one captain I acknowledge, and that's Willis Reed, captain of the New York Knicks. So it just, that, <laughs> that memory just came flooding. Say them old me. school brothers, boy. boy yeah. I tell you, you miss something out there and you trying to do your little path. And like, <laughs> no, no, y'all don't understand. Y'all yeah. understand. The way yeah. you call the word, it was like different. Iconic moment, him limping out there to uh, uh, play in that game in the uh, NBA championship. That was just one of the most uh, iconic NBA moments ever. Yeah, another tough move, not obviously as serious as those, but uh, as the cycle changes, Grandma State is searching for a new women's basketball coach. Coach Freddie Murray um, has been relieved of his duties, effective immediately. He thanked a lot of folks and then moving forward. Um, always a good guy when I had questions and conversations, um, always on top of it. Had some great seasons there, had that magical run. Uh, couldn't quite get it there um, as he continued to push that program. Uh, but something that you see with Grambling men's and women's about trying to get over that final hurdle. Um, but it will be interesting to see what Grambling does on the women's side. Um, everybody is, frankly, everybody is chasing Jackson State <laughs> in regard mm. to what it means to the excellence that you would have mm. in basketball. Obviously, Southern, to their credit, got it done in the crucial um, semifinals game. Uh, and they were able to uh, win the championship game to close it out. Uh, but talking about body of work, that's a lot of it there uh, in regards to what that looks like. But let's transition. Uh, we'll take our first break, come back on the other side. We'll do our final women's major division top 10 basketball ranking. I said top 10, but actually top five, as you all know by now. We'll lay that at the table, lay that to rest. Uh, as it's time to get into baseball and softball. Boy, it was some great softball games this weekend in terms of crucial matchups. I really followed baseball. This is the first weekend where you got baseball conference matchups as we close on Thursday and told you about some of those top five matches. All teams in the SWAC this weekend had at least one ranked team involved. Two of them had top five matches. And it'll be interesting to maybe discuss near the end of the show how all those things fell out, but wanted to kind of do that as a tease as we get into baseball. I was able to watch softball, Prairie View, and uh, Texas Southern. Uh, they had two games, night games they did. Got the score the first game, uh, but came in late in the second matchups. And, man, you talking about rivalry games. They lived up to it. Every time it looked like Texas Southern was going to close up or Prairie View City was going to close up, um, obviously, it was a home game for Texas Southern, so they go to the bottom, and they would match from stroke for stroke in terms of tying it, sending it to extra inning, two extra innings, if you would, uh, before Prairie View was able to get it done and actually win both games of the day. But I was like, wow, this is what it is. And then I got a message from Jose, one of my friends out there, Bethune-Cookman. Uh, Roy, don't take this too bad, where he talked about um, softball getting it done against FAMU. So. It's always something in terms of these rivalry matches. You never know. Stick back on the other side. We'll be right back after this break. We'll give you a top five final basketball poll ranking for the women, and we'll do the same later in the show for the men. Stick with us uh, as we shout out our lab listeners. Appreciate you for joining us today. Nope. Nope. You want him? Ooh, I like him. 
The Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the quicker picker upper. Now you can live in Texas and not have a good red meat blend. Texas Cowboy Dust is designed for steak and other red meats. It's out to be my most popular spice blend, made with onions, peppers, ground mushrooms, pink salt, and other spices. Texas Cowboy Dust also goes great with chicken, pork, vegetables, and has a restaurant quality sheen to gravies and sauces. It's like a loop machine. Vanilla smoked sea salt seasoning is for seafood. The tarragon and fennel bring out the natural sweetness in seafood. I also use it in rice dishes, on yams, asparagus, blueberry pancakes, and believe it or not, chocolate chip cookies. Vanilla smoked sea salt adds a salty and savory component to sweet dishes that create a symphony for the time. When you're looking for the latest information on Southern University Sports, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and HBCU Athletics, there's only one place to go. Tune in to the Carlos Brown Show, exclusively on the Black College Sports Network. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, call Cuvay. Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love laugh and who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes and pay attention, he gon' teach this is Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Mike is out on assignment, so none other than Charles will get to see this final poll ranking, see what he thinks, uh, if he has any problems with the ranking, and who ultimately wins Dr. Cavill's 2023 HBC Major Division Women's Championship uh, for 2023. Uh, let's get into those teams as there were. Any teams dropping out this week, obviously, most of the actions was done this past weekend. We do still have those teams receiving votes. Not a lot of changes here. We have Morgan State Bears sit at 17 and 12 with their record 10 and 4 with 39 points. Uh, behind them is Alabama State Hornets 16 and 15, 11 and 6 with 32 points. And as we descend down those receiving votes, Morgan State Bears 17 and 12, 20. 10 and 4 as they went in the conference race in the MEAC with 32 points there, tied with Alabama State. Prairie VN and Panthers in 15, 12 and 6, final ledger there with 22 points. And Alabama AM Bulldogs are 14 and 15, 12 and 6 with 18 points. Let me pause here for a minute in terms of those receiving votes. Obviously, don't know quite the top five points there, Charles, but uh, anything that you make of those teams that were outside of the top five, essentially, if we did a top 10, that's where you would have them at. 
in the yeah. Russian team that you see so far that you're concerned with that you say, no, they really should have finished in the top five? I saw Morgan, Morgan State uh, receiving votes, and I was a little curious. Uh, they would definitely, you know, oh, they, they, they seem 5A-ish to me. But uh, uh, let's see what, what we got for 5-1. Five, five <laughs> Let's jump back into it and let's give it those top five rankings. We'll start it here at number five. Uh, staying at number five is Howard Bison, 16 and 14, 10 and four. Great season overall. They threatened for a championship uh, in as you get into the tournament, uh, but just fell short as they seem to have all the answers in that game until late. But it wasn't to be as Norfolk State ultimately cut down the nets uh, in the tournament championship game, bringing us to number four. At number four, you have the Southern Jaguars, 18 and 5, 12 and 6, 58 and 4. They were part of that five way tie for second place in the conference. But boy, do you talk about getting hot at the right time um, and being able to get it done three straight three point get points late in the semifinals game against the rival Jackson State, bossed them ultimately with a last-second shot that people will reverberate for many years uh, as those that talk about the history of the swag, the Southern Jaguars. And they will – it'll be interesting because as people's memories fade uh, – you see how I put that out there, Charles. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about it as the championship game. <laughs> But it was not the championship game. It was actually the semifinal. The semifinal, yeah. They, right, and they go on and beat Pine Bluff in the championship game to make all right for Southern Jaguars with the world. 58 points. They remain in fourth place to get it done, bringing us to number three. This is the first time we have a program outside of the Swack and Miak. Jumps in here, North Carolina A&T State Aggies. 18 and 12, 12 and 6, 62 points. Remaining three. Had a really strong season. I think many people would like the way they started, certainly as they started conference race and buzzed through it. Um, it might be some folks that kind of argue by the way they closed out the season, and maybe mm. that's where you get it with Morgan State and see them too high. Uh, but it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on that. But in the final poll ranking, North Carolina a t sits at number three, bringing us to number two. Number two on the list gets us to the SWAC again. Jackson State Tigers, 21 and 10, 17 and 1. Two first place votes, 72 points. Remain at number two. It's going to be interesting because I think there are people out there that would argue Jackson State probably was um, the best team out there in some people's opinion. They see them as number one. Uh, but because number one, Norfolk State went on the run late in the season, gets the number one ranking. Uh, Jackson State falls to number two. So number one is none other than Norfolk State Spartans mm. sitting at 26 and 7, 11 and 3. Record wise, you shouldn't have a problem with them at number one. Seven first place votes, 78 points. What really made them special, they were able to do the daily double, as I like to call it. They get the regular season championship and they come back and able to navigate the sprint, as I like to call it. You got the mile relay, which is the season, and you have the tournament, which is the sprint. They do the daily double. They get gold in both of them. They finish out with a gaudy record of 26 wins, seven losses, 11 3, uh, eight, six first place votes, 78 points. Remain at number one. They ultimately are your 2020 23 HBC major division uh, women's championship. Held their own 
against mm. South Carolina State, then it doesn't look like anybody could stop. Obviously, things went off the rail in the second half, but defensively, Coach uh, made a statement about local State saying they weren't in a 16 that has literally gone viral. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, Coach come back the following week in the game and puts on a Shaney, Chaney, excuse me, a jersey of the preeminent women's program that went to the first uh, women's championship game. Did not quite get it done there, but Coach Vivian Stringer, the head coach there, uh, really got it done. So a lot of accolades appropriately going on in terms of the time and honors of them. But Norfolk State gets it done, uh, not to be outdone. Spartans earned Dr. Bill's 2023 HBC Division Women's Championship. Charles, what do you say about the top five in the final team? Norfolk State. Norfolk State, a deserving number one, uh, final number one. Uh, Here's the question I have, million-dollar question. In a one-bid league, Dr. Cabell, uh, as a fan, who do we remember more? Do we remember the regular season champion? Or do we remember the tournament champion? So if if I'm if if I'm a Southern fan, I'm taking a look at where I'm am behind North Carolina AT. Uh we both have 18 wins, we both have the same identical uh conference record. Why am I under North Carolina AT when I'm the SWAC champion? I think it's where Southern climbed to. I think this mm. is one of the things that are week to week. Um, and Southern was outside of the pole, got things rolling late, obviously won the three straight games in the tournament to vault them to 18 and 15 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's so much of just the conference record. Uh, there is some strength of schedule in there, but I don't think it plays that much in this in regards to what that looks like. I just think it was a lot for Southern to climb. Remember, previous to last week, uh, when after winning the tournament, they were not ranked in the top. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how far they would climb in terms of that matchup. Um, Jackson State only had the one loss in conference play. Right. It was the Prairie View, so Jaguars didn't make that kind of statement in regard. So I think that's part of it. But I think that's a fair question in terms of where you rank them. But I would say in terms of the voters and the computer ranking, that's why you don't necessarily see Southern Jaguars over North Carolina a be yeah. great to see them uh, match up head to head. Definitely, I mean, and, and do most fans do we remember the regular season champion, or do we really does that tournament like champion stick out in our head? I, I, I think the general fan that follows basketball, they tend to women, they tend to remember the regular season champion. I think the team that their fans that wins the tournament championship, mm-hmm. they remember the tournament champion. Mm-hmm. But if you just mm-hmm. ask the SWAC fan who was the champion of the 2020 season, which means that's a fan that pretty much watched week to week or, you know, and was in it. So that kind of stains on them over that period of time because they watch it like that. So they tend to be able to remember a little more saying, oh, yeah, the regular season team as the tournament, as I said, is a sprint. And so unless you like the fan or focused on that, I don't think that sticks with you as much as the regular season. True. That's a great question. One that uh, it'd be fun to get out there and kind of research and maybe ask um, some data what they do, or maybe even test people who won the 2022 championship. See which one do they come up with, particularly when it's a year when you have somebody split that didn't win the regular season and right. the championship. 
Good stuff, Charles. I see where you're going there. Good stuff. I like that. <laughs> With that being said, final kudos to Norfolk State Spartans, the women. Uh, get it done of Troy up there in Norfolk, Virginia, part of the MEAC. They cut down the nets and get it done as they win Doctorville's 2023 HBC Major Division Women's Basketball Championship. Let's take this break. We'll come back on the other side and give you some more updates, get into the Major Division for the men, uh, see what Charles thinks there. Uh, we'll come back around and give you some more ba baseball updates, so we'll give you our second break. Students will be right back on the other side. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. Are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food? Like jerk, chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Oh, we've got a Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock. In downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992. Or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant. Authentic Caribbean cuisine. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot left, and who the ball. So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Let's get into the major top five programs this week and crown our champion for 2023 and see who got it done between the conferences. And although Tennessee State dropped that last week, they were actually uh, not ranked this weekend, so they stay out of the top ten. But you see those teams receiving your votes there. Yeah, Texas Southern um, could not edge in there. I was seeing it maybe after you 
Obviously, if they went on that magical run that you saw FDU and they defeat a number one team, I wonder if they ain't going to jump in the top five. Yeah. <laughs> that would be two more wins wow. for the ledger. But other than that, they stay out of the top five. Texas Southern Tigers are 14 to 21, 7 and 11 with 56 points. Tennessee State Tigers, though, uh, finished outside of the top five at 18 and 14, 10 and 8, 43 points. Maryland Eastern Shore Hawks, 18 and 13, 19 and 5. The voters saw it a little different than you saw on the women's side, where AT um, had a late season swamp, but Tennessee State had a late season win, but then really fell hard in their last game, as well as the first game of the tournament. So interesting to see how that juxtapositions a little different there. And I wonder how much is that based on what teams did above them. So let's get in the top five. Slight change there in regards to some of the teams' rankings. So at number five, you have Alcorn State Braves. 18 and 14, 15 and three. They do fall one spot this week, 66 and four. Uh, tough loss to get into the NIT. Um, make a good run early in that game, but fall out early. So at number four, you have North Carolina Central Eagles. Get into the fourth spot as they move up one slight spot, 18 and 12, 12 and four. Interesting to see how they finished the season compared to Alcorn. Alcorn had the regular season co-championship. North Carolina Central was a game out. Um, but fascinating to see what was the MEAC maybe in terms of their top 18 is a little stronger than this swag in regards to maybe what the voters were thinking about. And anyway, at 76 points, they do move up a spot to end of the season. At number three, you have none other than mm. Norfolk State Spartans, 22 and 11, 11 and 3, 88 points. Finish at number three. Um, great season, but did not have postseason play. We talked about that quite a bit last week. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how things move over. They have a lot of folks leaving that program, including all everything. Player of the year for three straight years, Joe Bryan Jr. It'll be interesting to see who is able to help support him in that move. Also bringing us to number two is none other than ah. Rambler State Tigers, 24 and 8, 15, two first place votes, 100 points. They remain at number two. Tigers have a great season, shared the regular season championship. Went on a tournament run and faced Texas Southern for a championship to see if they could get that final hurdle. This is a program, uh, is the only program in the SWAC uh, that has not uh, won a tournament, a SWAC championship, if you would. Obviously, excluding the new members, FAMU and Bethune Cookman, as they transition into the program, even though the FAMU has won championship in the MIAC as well as Bethune Cookman in regards to regular seasons over there, FAMU in terms of the tournament as well. Gramlin has not won the tournament, so even though you had the history of Willis Reed and people focus so much on the NCAA, I hate when they say that because it almost ignores the fact how good this program was that they won so a true. national championship. So yes, true. it was in the NAIA, uh, but that's how history would have it. And when you mark it in the brand of today, when you think about the NCAA in the tournament, they have not gone to the NCAA development. Brings to number one. Howard had a magical season, 22-13, mm -hmm. 11-3, nine first-place votes, 100 uh, remaining number one. They actually increased the first place. They took one vote away from Gramlin uh, as of last week. 
Similar to the women of Norfolk State Spartans, they do the daily double. They win a regular season, very narrow, but they get it done in terms of the tournament. It looks like they were out of it. It'll be fascinating to see because these will be one of the things, particularly those folks that uh, um, are history buffs and carry this a long time, they'll remember the out-of-bound play. Mm. Um, or will it be Howard fans that will remember the foul in the free throw <laughs> to the championship? The, in the stop. To what that looks like. But that is just how close this thing is uh, when you talk about you know, magical cities. We play this back and Norfolk wins. Yeah. Um, what does that do? And and who wins the mythical championship then when you talk about Norfolk winning for the third time? Well, how does that change everything up? But and does Howard still win a national championship? Maybe just with less votes. But as history will have it, the national champion is none other than Howard in terms of the men's major division 2023. Charles, enough of me talking. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are Howard is very deserving of that number one uh, ranking. Uh, and I tell you what, for a half, Dr. Cavill, I, 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 I saw a basketball team that didn't shrink from the moment uh, in that NCAA mm -hmm. tournament. And I thought they had the makings of something uh, that could have been special because I I thought they matched up and then they were knocking down that three ball. That was the that was the that was the big thing. But you know, when I take a look at your poll, the million dollar question that comes to mind uh, for me, especially in light of Dr. McClellan uh, saying uh, the conference like the SWAC is, is has a long way to go. How do you become that Fairleigh Dickinson? How do you become that St. Peter's uh, in terms of? basically not getting your head beat in at the beginning of the season uh, to where you can get to a tournament and, and compete. Uh, that was the big thing that really, you know, jumped out with me, especially taking a look at Howard uh, because I said, wow, uh, this, this, this is a team that, that can, could give somebody uh, some issues and could, and could have a little magical run here, especially in that first round. But it just made me think about with Fairleigh Dickinson, they didn't have a, a player that was bigger than six seven, uh, but they literally, you know, they <laughs> uh, uh, they matched up so very well in those uh, first couple of games there. So I was just curious when you take a look back at our HBCU teams, how do we avoid the zero and eleven starts? How do we avoid the two and you know ten starts? You know. I, what what is the magic formula to to get us to that you know point where we get to the you know that first round game and compete? There's there's been so much conjecture, so much dialogue. I, I'm glad that you put that on the table so we can spend a little time talking about that because I think that's important for us to look at it. And I believe there's multiple questions uh, buried in, in a lot of the thoughts that you had there in particular, the last part of the question there. I think when you talk about those teams uh, that have perennial play, uh, a power five type of conference, and I'm saying playing anywhere between five to seven power five schools. And when, and I want people to, when we talk about power five in basketball, that's a extended a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, when we talk about Power Five in football, um, what the 
NCAA talks about the autonomous five. Those are the power five conferences such as the SEC, ACC, uh, Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12, right, uh, in regards to those schools. But when you start to talk about those additional conferences, you're also looking at the Big East. You need to add that in there. Um, and then in some cases, you're talking about the American. Sometimes it might be the Atlantic 10, Big West. Uh, some of those teams float in their two-member conferences. But I think the first thing is, is you have to, one, not schedule as many games away from campus. I don't care who you're playing. When you're playing role games, even uh, mid-majors or what some people refer to as low majors, depending on where you're talking about quadrant and what articles you read. Uh, but even if you play those comments, it becomes extremely tough to go on the road and win a basketball game. Yeah. Let me make it simple for you. How, what do we talk about doing the regular season in the swag? These are teams that are similar in terms of experience, similar in, at least in budget in most cases. But even in SWAT, when you go on the road game, the, or the MIAC for that matter, what people generally speak, especially when you used to play the two back-to-back, is you what? You split on the road. Split on the road, yeah. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? <laughs> he wanted, because he it's wanted to get hard one. to win yeah. on the road. I don't care yeah. who it is. Mm -hmm. So first thing is, is first, play more home games. Play more home games. Obviously, remove some of the Power 5 scheduling, right, and play – Programs more of your ill. That's one of the things I appreciate the fact that we're seeing a little more of these um, classic basketball and obviously in baseball too is a similar framework where you play of equal stature team, which means in some ways you're going to get win or loss. So somebody's going to benefit from it. Obviously, somebody won't, uh, but they're more competitive. It'll help you in terms of branding and marketing your franchise, uh, your program, I should say. But the other thing I wanted to get into is the next part of your question where you alluded to, you know, how do we become more competitive in the tournament? And some people out there even asking, how does the SWAT basketball become a one-fit league? I think the commissioner uh, did a great job in terms of explaining the politics and, and the metrics even more so behind that. But I'm like, I don't think we understand that there are few leagues that are getting more than one bid. I don't think people realize how many teams actually go to the tournament above 64. There are 32 automatic bids. Of the 32 automatic bids, I want people to realize this. There are 23 conferences mm -hmm. of the 32, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Less than 10, that means get more multiple bids. 23 of 32 get one bid. So to get even the two bids, you're talking about climbing over 23 teams. Sure. To do what they're doing. The first thing is the tournament is not set up for the mid-majors or low-major programs to get more than one bid. It's not mathematically set up. And the first issue you have is financing your program. And I'm not talking about just people getting more or getting the commissioner to do better marketing so they get some more money or getting the ADs. I'm talking about significant revenue that you see from these proverbial power five, power seven basketball programs 
where they putting uh, millions of dollars in their individual program, a billion dollars from a conference perspective. There was a study done about 15, 20 years ago that they called the red line. And it showed a clear demarcation of programs that spent multi-million dollars above a certain level that played teams that had less than that. And those teams above when 75 plus percent of the time. So just pure mathematically, it's a cost thing. If you spend more money at a significant level, you can increase your program. But where are you going to get that money from? The best part you could say is television money. So that's why that TV secondary rights television deal with HBCU Go can be extremely significant. It's going to take some time, though. That's not something that you dump the money in. Even if you got it all tomorrow, you're not going to see some change the next year. That's going to be a four or five-year project to see the machinations of that moving forward. So that's another part of that. But I just wanted people to understand that. And just so people can understand that I'm not just putting it out there. The SEC this year got eight teams. The Big Ten got eight teams. The Big 12 got seven. The Big East had five. The ACC with five. The Pac-12 with four. Right? And then it drops off. Even the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga and St. Mary's, they only got two. The American only got two. That was Houston and Memphis. Everybody else got one bid. Mm. So I think, again, I don't want to overstate that, that all those other conferences that you're talking about, they get one bid. Mm. This is set up for the power brokers that get all the money. They maintain the money and put a stranglehold on the money. They've improved their program so much um, that it just replicates itself because the programs with the money continue to have. Um, so that's 71.9% of the teams of those 32 be exact. I want to even take it to the next level. I don't think people, and then I'll let you follow the question. Um, if you go, seven leagues received a combined 41 bids of the field of 68. So those seven leagues received 41 bids. That's 68 or 60.3% of the bids. Even if you go to the NIT, because a lot of folks are talking about the NIT, 13 of the field of 32 of the NIT, 40.1% come from those seven leagues. So even the NIT is in the business of just supporting the branded schools. So if you do that and you include the multiple bid leagues, everybody that is not one bid, it goes up to nine league conferences. 16 of the 32 or 50% of the NIT was about those multiple bid leagues, which meant 61 teams, or 61% of the 100 bids between the NCA and NIT went to nine conferences. The 32 conferences, it goes to nine conferences. Less than a third receive all the bid because they have all the money and control everything involved with this piece of puzzle. So the magic bullet to this is the finances, but the problem is you can't get your hands on the finances because you don't have to television money and you ain't had it over the years yeah so yeah. all this talk about just work harder how to bear a coach what you saw with uh the basketball wins they're called upset for a reason they're called the magical dance for a reason they're not supposed to happen so you can't design them to happen you couldn't play that game a hundred times and ask it to have the same outcome mm -hmm. it's magical that's why we watch it 
It's not something that was purpose. And it's not to take anything away from those programs or anything away from those coaches, but I want people to understand mathematically, sure. statistically, when you talk about Las Vegas that puts odds and bets on it, it's not supposed to happen. And this is probably more of a Thursday conversation to get more into it, but I wanted to ask a question about, is there a demarcation line with regards to a scheduling model to where your Ken Palm rating gets a little bit higher at least uh, as you get into January. I mean, is there a scheduling model where you're not only playing uh, your, your HBCU teams that were strong in the tournament uh, last year, whereas you take Texas Southern or Howard or Norfolk State, but some of those teams that were, uh, you know, first four teams or teams like a St. Peter's or teams like a, a Fairleigh Dickerson to get them, uh, uh, does that have any effect with regards to uh, your rating being a little bit higher uh, as you get toward? Not really. There's, I mean, there's mathematics you can do with it, but it's so intricate that I don't know if you can calculate it and really do a scheduling model because it changes so in a various fashion. There's what you call quadrants, and we, we can get in this maybe a little deeper on Thursday as you But there's quadrants, and there's four quadrants. The best quadrant is the first one, and then it goes all the way down. So the thing that you want to do is schedule quadrants uh, but the problem is, the higher you go on the quadrant, the better it is. But you got to win those games. Sure. Well, guess who's in? Yeah. Those nine conferences, or the majority of the teams in those nine conferences, I told you about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the secondary thing that you could do is probably schedule quadrant three, quadrant two wins. That's not going to change the number of bids you get. I want to make this clear. That's not going to change the number of bids you get. What that will change, though, is the seeding. So those 23 programs, the difference is, is based on that quadrant of wins determines oftentimes where they're seeded. Mm -hmm. So you can move from that 16 to a 14, 12 seed, which obviously determines uh, the more likelihood of upset. There's a reason why you had that magical number, people about the 12-5. The reason mm -hmm. is, is the power five schools, because of the ranking system, get the five, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're really better than the 12. Seasons. Sure. And that's sure. why you tend to see more wins is because it's the scheduling model allows them to be five when they really should be 12 and the team that's 12 should be five. Sure. That's why you get the probable switch. Let's get into a last break. We'll come back, tease you out just a little bit of the – D1 baseball, since we talked about the major division, we'll talk a little bit about that, tease a little bit about softball. But we'll get into some of the conference mix for the SWAT. We'll stick with us. We'll come right back on the other side and give you a breakdown of what took place in week number one for the SWAT baseball. Man, there was some surprises. Surprises. It was. Maybe, you know, it was. Yeah. Let's get into it. We'll be right back on the other side and give you that information after this last one. The human voice has always connected audiences with experiences. Major brands all across America have trusted Kevers Voice time and time again. Conversational, powerhouse, intelligent, and sincere. That's the voice you need for your creative marketing process. K-E-A-V-E-R-S-V-O-I-C-E.com. Kevers Voice, Kevers Voice, KeversVoice.com. Always on, all the time. This is Ryan Fulford. 
A.B. Drew and I are co-hosts of the BCSN Sports Wrap. We talk about all things related to HBCU athletics. From the games, teams, coaches, and fan interest stories, we cover it all. You can find our shows on Facebook at BCSN Sports Wrap, YouTube at MyJBN Online, and everywhere you listen to podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on the Jericho Broadcast Network's app. Make sure to download. We look forward to you joining the conversation and being a part of the show. T. Madden & Associates is a sophisticated and experienced law firm located in your neighborhood. We're turning injury to cash. T. Madden & Associates obtained almost $2 million for my injury. They turned my injury to cash. Now, we can't guarantee how much your injury is worth, but we've recovered millions for our clients. Call T. Madden & Associates at 833-PAID-123. That's 833-PAID-123. Press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love yeah. and who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir and pay attention. This is Dr. Cavill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. So I wanna get in here. I'm gonna start not with the swag because that's where we we get into it. Uh, I do wanna give these kind of updates in terms of the NEC. Uh, we had Maryland Eastern Shore uh, actually finding a way to get two games this past weekend um, as they took two out of three in their matchups, uh, those Friday matchups in terms of what took place there is a little interesting. Uh, but you had Norfolk State uh, that took it hard uh, this past weekend, not doing as well in terms of those matchups. Uh, starting uh, with Friday, uh, you had Coppin State getting a game against Merriman. They won 16-15 in terms of that matchup, so that was good to see in terms of what that looks like. Uh, yeah, Maryland Eastern Shore losing to Long Island 9-3 in terms of their matchup in the NEC. Delaware State losing to Central Connecticut. And then uh, Norfolk State getting pounded by VMI in terms of what they got done on their Friday matchup. Not much difference on Saturday in terms of what took place there for those, those games. Uh, Coppin State also got a game against Merrimack. Ain't no shutting them out. Uh, good to see that. Uh, but you had Maryland Eastern Shore bouncing back and getting the game against Long Island 5-4. Uh, VMI uh, took down Norfolk State again. Much closer game, 11-9. Um, similar to what you saw Delaware State is they lost a close one to Central Connecticut 8-6. Coppin State did a double header on Saturday as they win uh, the series actually sweeping Merrimack as they, they defeat them 4-3. to three. That was a 10-inning game. And then, obviously, you had some of those final matchups, uh, if you would, on Sunday uh, to close out with Maryland Eastern Shore uh, getting the series victory 6-3 to three over Long Island. Uh, not so much for Delaware State as they land 10-5 to Central Connecticut in terms of what took place there. Uh, and, obviously, VMI. Uh, sweeping Norfolk State 15-4 in terms of those matchups. Similar when you go to the Colonials, you have your long team out there. Uh, any thoughts before I get to uh, North Carolina A&T and the Colonial in terms of their three games as they lose two out of three? I'll give you the scores shortly. Anything about the NEC? Obviously, uh, you got to give some kudos uh, as you get the sweep by Coppin State getting it done there. 
What yeah, so like Coppin State, uh, Coppin State was uh, one of those programs that was one of those uh, upper tier programs uh, uh, that was in the MEAC. But uh, always curious when you start taking a look at the NEC uh, Colonial Conference in terms of uh, the, the, the strength of the conference or, or what type of baseball are they playing uh, over there in that conference. And, and, and just is the, is the, are they pitching heavy? Are they hitting heavy? So those are the things that kind of pop in my head when I take a look at these uh, scores and take a look at these teams. It'll be interesting to follow that over a couple of games to see where that lands. Um, I would say as you get up, up in kind of that cold region, it doesn't warm up to a little later. So a lot of times you're thinking a little more pitching gets tough yeah. with those hits. As things exactly. warm up, you might get the bats come around. So even though it looks like they may be a pitching heavy, how much of that is due to the weather is something to uh, look at as well. Uh, Colonial, you had North Carolina. A&T facing up against Northeastern that has played some really good baseball in the Colonial over the last couple of years. Uh, they played two games set on their Friday, getting swept on their Friday series as they go down 14-0 in the first game uh, and then 9-4 in the second matchup. They do bounce back on Saturday as they get one. Get one of the three. It's always good to at least salvage a game and not get the totals uh, swept. Uh, for the series in terms of 03, as we'll see, a couple of teams did get it done in the SWAC with that. Uh, but AT bounces back on and wins five and five to three on Saturday with those contests. Uh, with that being said, what are your thoughts in terms of AT? Um, as they second year of playing outside of the MEAC, where they had a pretty uh, strong program, decent program, obviously, but Phil Cookman, FAMU was uh, really giving them problems and fits in there, but they would sneak up every so often really run off a team. Um, but trying to find that footing, it seems, in the Colonial. Yeah, yeah, uh, big thing. Trying to, yeah, the big thing, trying to find that footing over there in that conference or whatnot. Uh, uh, we've seen uh, this North Carolina A&T uh, baseball program, a uh, very, uh, very good program uh, when they were in, a, in the MEI. But like you said, uh, attempting to find that footing over there in the Colonial. And and I think just early part of the season, uh, Dr. Viola, you, we – Often question, especially along the East Coast, uh, what warms up first, the pitching or the hitting? And, you know, normally, uh, like you mentioned, we see the hitting, the bats come along later on. So let's get into the SWAT thing that we love over here with some really good baseball. Not only do you have, obviously, HBCUs taking on, but you have the history and the matchups. Um, so it gets intriguing. Uh, obviously, over the last year, this is the second year of the new format of the SWAT in regards to uh, expansion, 12 teams, six divisions, uh, with two power programs coming in with Bethune-Cookman, FAMU. Um, so the heightened level of baseball in the conference was really taken up. When you had your matchups, I told you about some of these top 10 matchups, which featured uh, Jackson State and Alabama State, top 10 matchup, according to Black College 9. You also had the Alabama State uh, Bethune-Cookman matchup was a top five program. You had FAMU as a ranked team taking on an unranked Mississippi Valley. You had a ranked team in Texas Southern taking on an unranked team in Pine Bluff. Uh, you had a ranked Southern team taking on an unranked Grambling team. Be interesting how that may change up as we did our votes today. Black College 9, I got mine in. Uh, and you had a ranked Prairie team taking on Alcorn. Let me get into your scores on Friday. Uh, you had Bethune-Cookman. So I'm taking an upset, Alabama State, 6-5, uh, as Alabama State was ranked higher than Bethune-Cookman coming in there. 
three, four matchup, if you would, in that uh, that particular, uh, excuse me, two, three matchup in particular uh, contest there. Uh, but Thune Cookman's at home. They went six, five. FAMU shuts out Valley, eight, zero. Texas Southern, uh, 10 run over, I um, love 13 to three to be exact. He also had a second contest with two playing on Friday. Valley hosted uh, FAMU. They lose that one 18 to two in that matchup. And then you have Jackson State defeating Alabama A&M 18 6. You have Southern over Grambling 8 to 7. Prairie View beating Alcorn State 10 to 4 in terms of matchups, uh, as you saw going on there. What do you thought in terms of what came out Friday? Because, you know, I was giving some scores and updates uh, where things came up, surprise, in some of these matchups. Ultimately, you get Alabama AM taking two or three from Jackson, which came in as the number one team. AM was four. That was big in terms of what took place there. We we're curious of what took place. Also, Bethune Cookman at home took two or three from Alabama State. Yeah. Uh, that won the championship there, came in, was expected to do well, still can, top of the East. Uh, Grambling taking out Southern, taking two out of three. I'll go those scores particularly, but at least on Friday and kind of what I'm talking about, these matches. What, what did you see from baseball? Uh, the big thing was Alabama a and taking two or three from Jackson State. You're talking about uh, Jackson State baseball team that was probably coming in uh, one of the hottest teams in HBC baseball. When you take a look, I think they had won nine in a row going into that weekend series with Alabama a and uh, And to be honest with you, pitching was a rumor this weekend. You take a look at the scores. Uh, uh, Jackson State loses 13-9 to on Friday. Uh, they win Saturday, 18 to six, uh, but they take the L in the rubber game, uh, 12 to nine. So, uh, what jumped out at me was like just looking at these scores, like, whoa, what happened to the pitching this weekend? So, obviously, a lot of uh, pitching was used up in terms of uh, trying to keep these hot bats down over the weekend. But uh, interesting that Alabama AM, when you start talking about Florida AM, talk about Alabama State, Bethune Cookman, Jackson State in the East, Alabama AM, they're making. Uh, they're pitching this opening weekend series to say, hey, we're, we're a program to, to deal with as well. And uh, interesting enough, Valley goes over three, but do you know they've already attempted 90 stolen bases this season, Dr. Bill? I mean, <laughs> that, that speed is going to catch somebody in a weekend series if they get on base. So they're flying around and then taking a look at Grambling. Grambling taking two or three from Southern. That was significant. Cameron Buf Buford, he was the swag player of the week. Because uh, he uh, had a huge uh, weekend. Uh, talk about midweek game over Wiley, and then over the weekend, he think for the three games he hit 500 this past weekend. So, so uh, pretty pretty interesting uh, weekend when you take a look at what was happening in the SWAC East and SWAC West. So after week number one uh, in the Western Division, starting from the bottom to the top, you have, have all corn sitting at the bottom at 0 and three. Southern at one and two, along with Arkansas Vine Bluff. You have Gramlin and Texas Southern sitting at two and one. Gramlin ultimately takes two or three at home from Southern. Uh, in terms of that, they got a impressive big win there. Yeah, yeah. yeah walk-off wins, uh, extra inning matchup. Prairie View does what they're supposed to do early, get right game. A lot of people came in there and get the three for Alcorn. I think that's going to be interesting, too, in terms of teams that are not playing well. Um, are they able to sneak up and bite somebody that's going to be in the race yeah. in terms of those matches? 
as you said, Valley, can they run around the bases and do enough to take a game from somebody that will be maybe the difference in terms of a game or two uh, at, at the end of the season? Same with Alcorn. Can they get somebody in the mix and bite somebody in the West? So going to the East, yeah, Valley sitting at 0-3, Alabama State at 1-2, Jackson State at 1-2, Alabama A&M at 2-1, Thune-Cookman also at 2-1, and, and FAMU uh, jumps off at 3-0. and Interesting to see what this is going to look like week to week. We'll wait to Thursday and give you some more key matchups as they come this weekend because I know you're chopping up the bits as you start looking at uh, what is some schedule from games to get you quickly with Texas Southern and Southern is one that you got to out there on the win. Texas, Texas Southern and Southern, and then Alabama State goes to Jackson next weekend as well. So that has already <laughs> caught my eye. <laughs> oh, boy. It will be fun in terms of what you look at the matchup. Any last thing uh, that you want to say about baseball that you saw this past weekend that maybe kind of stuck out to you? Oh, what stuck out, of course, is Alabama a and That was very impressive. Like I said, you're talking about Black College Nines' number one team, and Alabama A&M went on the road, went to Jackson, and the bats came with them. And they took two or three from Jackson State. And like I said, you take a look at it, 13 runs Friday, uh, then come back with 12 runs on Sunday. So you got some guys that can swing the bat. Obviously, everybody's excited about the Southern pitcher that played in the World Baseball. A classic, even though hitter, kudos to what he's going to do. Gives us a reason to kind of sneak in the fact that you have the championship game uh, tonight featuring you so and the fans. Yeah. Um, I know you've been texting back and forth just about uh, how you've seen some of the Caribbean teams, particularly <sighs> the connection of what you recall from the Negro Leagues. Uh, also, what you see in a lot of ways with uh, black college baseball over the years in terms of how connected it is. A lot of spirit, a lot of fun. Been a great tournament. Obviously, it's financially in that, but you can see culturally connected in some ways. It reminds you of the World Cup in soccer or what it does. It's the way baseball is supposed to get played. Yeah, with a lot of juice. I a agree. lot of juice. I love it. I love it. I agree. I agree. Thank you for listening to Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. For the lab listeners out there, appreciate all the love um, in terms of you joining us, Chuck Hunt, Ricky Burton. G. Boom Holly, getting in here, Jazzy Faith, G. Uh, Willie Alex Hines, Theron Waters, as you always do, Brother Wendell Davis, Jeff Roberts, Chad Cooper, Silas Edward McMorris, uh, giving some love. Want to make sure we get the shout out to all those. Carol Keelum, Lennon Blow, always sharing us love. We appreciate you checking us out live. Uh, I am Dr. Jonathan the Dean of HBC Sports, coming from inside the lab in the College of HBC Sports. Mike Washington, Charles Bishop, Mike Washington is out on assignment. We'll check with you on Thursday as we will be on the road. We'll be giving you some updates, CS, CSRI in Columbia, South Carolina. We'll take the show on the road, do our academic duties, uh, taking doctoral students, including Charles, uh, to see what we can do on a presentation. We'll take a sneak peek on the Celebration Bowl, as we call a decolonization lens, looking at that, as well as Jackson State. Uh, this season with the prime effect. We'll get into seeing some data about what that looked like. Again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Lills Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop every Tuesday and Thursday. Get back with us on Thursday at 6 o'clock Central Time. We still plan to bring you a show. We look forward to next Thursday as we discuss the latest in the news. Follow me, Dr. Kenyatta Bill, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. 
Inside the HBC Sports Lab, one on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Inside the HBC Sports Lab, dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Charles? Horse. Roy? Lecture. Dismissed.